work on your next muscle, right? You know, which may have nothing to do with what you're doing today, right? Find another topic which you find interesting and just study it, right? And, and see, you know, maybe you will get so excited that that's your future then going forward. What's up, folks? I'm your host, Adley Christoffels, and you're listening to A Curious Life, the show where we delve into how the trait of curiosity has impacted the lives and careers of our guests. Campfire-like discussions that serve as a window into the essence of who they are. Today's guest, Udo Sklavo, is one of just a handful of people who will directly impact the future of analytics at scale. Yet he is one of the most chilled and humble individuals you'll meet, and someone I'm fortunate to call friend. So today, we get a front row seat to the life experiences that have shaped him and his thoughts on the future of analytics. Udo, welcome to the show, dude. <laughs> How are you, sir? Doing all right, mate. Doing all right. And uh, yeah, looking forward to just uh, finding out more about Udo. Um, really looking forward to this interview, dude. Hey, Hadley, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our discussion. That should be a lot of fun. Okay, cool. So uh, kick things off, Udo. I normally ask my guests, what does curiosity mean to you? Well, Hadley, that's already a, an awesome question because uh, I truly believe that we live in the in the century of curiosity, really we do. But what does it mean to me? I think curiosity is the first, a stage for creativity. And what I mean by that is, you know, in order to be creative, in order to, you know, solve problems which we may have never seen before or problems which we are aware of, but we just didn't have the means to solve them previously, you know, we need a lot of creativity in our days and age. But typically, it's curiosity which points you in the direction of these problems. You know, it's like, well, why is this happening? Why is this a problem in the first place? You know, or, you know, why haven't we talked about this previously? So I frankly wouldn't label myself as a very curious person. I, I really don't, right? But, you know, I think when I sink my teeth into something, right, I get really curious, right? You know, so what I mean by that, Hadley, is, um, you know, I'm not the type of person who is kind of driving or is curious about many different things, right? You know, like today I'm curious about that and tomorrow I'm curious about this. You know, I think I'm more narrow in my focus, to be frank. Understood. And I, I I do get that, and I think I'm I'm kind of the same. Is that it's not that I want to know a little bit about everything, but it's when something piques my curiosity, then you know that's when kind of this this uh, process kicks in, and then you want to find out more. And as I've said before, you know I th I find that curiosity is an enabler to discovery and a discovery of self. So you start to understand a bit more about what you like and what you are interested in. And then obviously also discovery of the topic itself, because normally there's so many different layers. I like that. I like that. And also, you know, probably it's also, we have to be humble about our abilities, right? Because, you know, you may be curious about a lot of things, but then it's more like this general interest type of level, right? You know, I think if there's something 
you're passionate about, you know, you need to be, you know, informed and you need to be, you know, reading up a lot of things on this topic. And, and that requires you to limit yourself in, you know, the amount of things you, you can process, right? And again, I mean, probably that's more a question for the, for the next generation. You know, how do you cope with all the information which is hitting your desk on a day-to-day -day level? No, that's true. And, you know, um, how, how do you filter. you know, filter the noise from the, sink, from the signal, right? You know, which brings me again to data analytics, right? Because that's what we do, you know, typically. Right, you know. That's exactly. <laughs> okay, Udo, but listen, we want, we're here to find out about you. And what I normally tell my guests is, is the, the feel of the conversation is essentially like us having a discussion around a campfire, right? We're chilling, telling the story of who we are, and tag, you're up, you're it. Uh, and yeah, everybody wants to know about Udo. So let's start with where you're born. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, man. Where were you born, sisters? Uh, brothers, father, mother, that kind of thing. What was family life like? All right. Okay, so I was born in Germany in a town called Aschaffenburg, which is close to Frankfurt, Frankfurt in the West. Growing up with an older sister, interesting fact, probably for the sake of the discussion, is my father is Italian, my mother is German. We grew up in Germany, which was... You know, I was born end of the 60s. An interesting experience, right? Of course, you know, it's nothing like, you know, um, having a different skin color or anything like this, you know, which, you know, kind of shows that you are, you know, special, right? But um, it was an interesting experience as a kid, you know, because... Um, of course, people realized, hey, your your father is not German, you know, what's going on? You know, why aren't you living in Italy? Blah, blah, blah. Are you going back to Italy? You know, these kind of things. Was that the kind of questions that were asked? Oh, yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, you know. Really? You have to imagine that this was Germany in the 70s, right? So our teachers were, you know, brought up in a very strange system, right? You know, so we, we still had, you know, this, you know, elderly generation who looked very unfavorable at strangers to coming to the country, you know. Okay. You know what? I never really thought about it like that. This is this is really interesting. So so when was when was the end of the of the World War now? I can't Well World War Two ended in forty five, right? So you basically, you know, the, the kids who were brought up during that time were, of course, you know, brainwashed. You know, they, you know, were basically born a, uh, brought up in a system where they believe, you know, we are superior to the rest of the world, right? And, and of course, you know, people changed, right? You know, but still, there is this notion, right? You know... <laughs> I don't know how to explain this proper, right? But, you know, I ran into some teachers where in hindsight, you know, it didn't occur to me back then, but in hindsight, I always thought, well, he was just an idiot, right? You know, yeah. he basically, you know, segmented you out because of your uh, heritage, you know. Oh, my word. I had no idea. It, it makes sense. You know, it absolutely makes sense that it would happen that way because it's only 15 years later, right? 
let's call it 20 years later. And, and I'm trying to kind of put this in the context of the apartheid system, not, not in, in drawing a parallel with what has happened, but rather the time that it takes for generations to change. Here you go. And you know what? 20 years is not a long time. It's not a long time. And then, of course, I mean, the best thing I think which happened to our generation is the 68 revolution where, you know, the kids of those guys who, who became our parents and younger teachers were asking the hard questions. What did you do during that time? You know, um, you know what did grandfather do during that time? Right? You know, and they basically set the stage for all of us. You know, my generation and all the generations after, because now this is handled right. I mean, Germany now is is very different to Germany in beginning of 20th century. Right? You know, it's a it's an open society, you know, uh, I love Germany, I have to say, I loved living there. But, um, you know, it's it's an interesting experience, I have to say, which also resonated in my school career, right? Because at some point in time, I lost interest in school completely, right? You know, okay. I was a good soccer player, right? You know, like, cool. probably every third kid in, in, in Germany and in Europe, in, in the UK, and so I always thought that's my call, right? You know, you will become a professional soccer player, like probably a lot of kids, right? So, you know, school was up. Do you still do you yeah. still play today, by the way? Do you like play? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's like the head wants to play, the body says no, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> the body says no. <laughs> I I play a little bit of uh, it's only dads, like you know, like friends about the same age as me, but it's it's one of the moments in my week that I so look forward to. I'm always aching the next day, but it's just so nice. Yeah. And you see, what, what happened to me is that um, I think it was at the age of 13 or 14 when um, the doctors told me that I can't continue playing soccer because of some, oh. you know, injury I had, you know. So oh, no. that was kind of the first major you know, impact on my life, right? And it's kind of interesting when I look back, you know, I'm in my 50s now, you know, there are these turning points. And that was probably one of the first turning points, right? Where all of a sudden, somebody tells you, you know, I was playing soccer every day, literally, right? You can't do this anymore, right? You, you have to find something new, right? Which Whoa. was very disturbing as a child, I have to say. I, I tell you what, Udo, that's a moment we're going to... Let's get to that moment, right? So so something I just don't want to... I don't want to lose just yet is the this schooling. and Because I want to understand how this has impacted and shaped your thinking now. How is, how is going through that process, and even if it's in hindsight, impacted you today? The process of... So, so it's being at school and being marginalized. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I think, you know, in a way, the way it impacted me is that, you know, I thought for myself, you have to be the master of your own fate, right? You know, that you can't expect a lot of, you know, support gifts from your environment, right? You know what I'm trying to say? So I do. to me, it was almost like, they treat you a little bit different. So, you know, maybe you are different, right? Um, and maybe, you know, that's the advantage which you will have later on in life, you know, that you find your niche and you are not following 
a path which has been walked by many people before, but you have to create your own path because, you know, frankly, um, and, and maybe that's a good story to, to add to this, Hadley, is that my father, when he came to Germany after the war, he was part of the first generation of so-called, you know, they, they called them Gastarbeiter, which basically means you come to Germany to help rebuild the country after the war. Because, you know, the, the men were either dead or in prison or, you know, uh, injured. And, you know, there was not enough manpower available. So they asked, Germany asked, you know, other countries for help. Italy, uh, initially, Greece, Portugal. And those countries were suffering economy-wise as well, right? So they basically sent their manpower to Germany. And the idea, Hadley, was always... You, you stay for a couple of years, you help rebuild the country, and then you go home, right? Thank you very much, right? But you see, life happens. My father met my mother, and he decided to stay in Germany. That's right? typically you know? the kind of life that happens, is boy meets girl. <laughs> boy meets girl, and of course, you know, there's no uh, way that you can plan for that, right? But the reason why I'm saying this is that I'm trying to stress that that was the first generation where this happened, right? In a in a larger scale, right? And all those guys or girls who were brought up with either two parents being not German or one German, one non-German parent, we didn't have any role model sure. to adjust to, right? To basically say, hey, what did X do in my situation, right? Or how? Yeah. You were actually forging that path. I had to basically find this out myself, right? And and maybe build the path for other generations to follow, right? Yeah. Future generations. You can kind of understand, not condone, but you can understand that impacting the teachers and them still thinking that way. What about the other kids that you went to school with? What was it like amongst your peers? Yeah, it's, it's similar. So I didn't have a lot of friends, right? Because... You know, it's the same kind of situation, right? They they were looking at you, oh, you know, is he German or is he not German, right? You know, does okay. he speak German, right? You know, and it was also very interesting, Hadley, when I when we uh, went to Italy for vacation, it was the other way around, right? They, they looked at me like, oh, there's the German, right? You know, it's kind of funny. Right? <laughs> so yeah. no, only half, only half. Yeah, exactly. Right? I'm the like, Italian half now. <laughs> exactly right. So, you know, you always feel like, you know, you don't belong. I, I guess that's that's the point I'm trying to make. And, you know, my, my wife is still joking with me sometimes that I didn't have any room right that's why it was so easy for me then to go to the states at some point in time because i didn't feel like you know you know a lot of things are holding me back from a from a roots perspective like a long tradition right you know no i i, I completely get that i mean i kind of have a weird thing uh, well i say a weird thing but this is just part of who i am right so when you typically say the word colored, there is a connotation attached to it that I didn't understand kind of growing up. So in South Africa, there's blacks, there's whites, there's coloreds, which is the third kind of most populous um, uh, racial group, I guess, or ethnic group. Um, And it's kind of the same, the same thing for me, you know, is, is, 
as both my parents were classed as colored and their kind of parents before them, but somewhere down the line there was there was a a coming together of of different um, nations, and I think the this colored community grew up. and And as I said, it's the third most populous kind of ethnic group in South Africa. But it was it was kind of that similar thing. You're not black. You're not white. You kind of you know somewhere in the middle. However, for me, yeah. as I grew up, I am I fully you know cl- classify myself, and even today, I would say I'm colored. But when I moved out, when I moved out to South Africa, and when I told people that I was colored, they were like, "Whoa, how could you s- say that about yourself?" And I'm like, "Well, actually, I don't know any different. There's like millions of us back home." <laughs> Actually, look look at my you know if you look at my 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 South African identity book, you'll see there that I'm coloured, and I'm like I don't know what you are about, man. <laughs> That's funny. But but uh but anyway, yeah. So so I, point I'm trying to make is I get I get what you mean about kind of this this feeling stuck in the middle of two worlds when when you just want to be you, <laughs> and you 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 don't see the relevance of either. That's exactly right, you know, and you try to find your path. I mean, growing up is not easy, you know, for everyone, I guess, right? And, you know, that was just an additional interesting experience, you know. I mean, it, it's all about the little things, right? So, for example, you know, um, in Germany back then, they had special schools for people, or for kids, <laughs> for from families who are not German. Uh, and the idea was that they will get additional German classes, right? Because, you know, they sure. probably didn't speak German at home, you know, so they needed some additional education. And, you know, when the decision was pending, you know, which kind of school should I go to, you know, they actually wanted to have me in that school. And I'm like, I don't belong there, right? Because, you know, I don't speak it. You know, I'm, I'm German, right? You know, so for, for me as a person, I never considered myself, you know, as a, a person with two nationalities. I mean, back then, of course, as a kid, you always look for, you know, where do I belong, right? You know, which group? And you were born and bred in Germany, right? Yeah, absolutely, right? And, you know, so to me, I, I didn't even understand the question, right? To me, I'm like, I'm German. Why, why is this even a point, you know? But it was kind of interesting, right? But, you know, like I said, that was kind of a pattern in my life very early on. And like I said, you know, then the, the football thing collapsed, right? So, you know, there's almost like this rough cuts, right, where I had to basically decide, okay, what, what what's coming now, right? You know, you just lost. So, so what, what did happen at that point in Udo? Well, I discovered music, right? <laughs> you know, so back then I discovered music and, you know, um, I joined a couple of bands, and and that was basically the career path, the new career path. So what what did you what did you play though? I, I was singing in a band, you know. So yeah, yeah, actually several bands, right? So I really, you know, after the initial, you know, shyness and you know the initial nice stage fright, you know, I really enjoyed being on the stage, you know. I always thought this is the best thing. What ever. kind of genre, by the way? Oh, we, we did um, a lot of, um, you know, post-punk, punk rock type of things, right? Those were the 80s, man. I mean, there's a lot of interesting guitar-based music going on, you know, so that was the kind of genre, right? So 
Um, and, and by the way, some of my friends are still in bands and they are making a living, you know, being on the road all the time. It's not the best business to be in, to be honest, right? But uh, you know, Well, especially since last year, yeah. Exactly right. But, um, you know, yeah, they are still doing that. And, you know, but uh, for me, like I said, you know, that was kind of the career path, which I thought, all right, that's it, right? I want to be, bless you, my friend, I want to be a rock star or, you know, a pop star or whatever, right? You know, and um, that also impacted, in a way, my... A decision what to study right because you know when i was kind of at the stage where you know this whole business of okay what are you going to do after school right you know so 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 just before just before we get there quick Udum, so so at that point then 13 you wanted to be a footballer that that was the dream um and an injury kind of you know stop with that put a stop to that and the next one is you want to be a musician and you want to kind of, I'm assuming you wanted to be, you know, travel and, and, and go all out in that. Be on big stages, of course, right? Yeah. Make it rock. Make it rock. So was that kind of all the way through high school and into uni or? Yeah. So that was basically, you know, of course, you know, at the age of 14, 15, you know, and it takes time until you develop the, the skills and you develop the connections so that you can play on public stages, you know. So that was until I was 18, 20, maybe that time period, right? And, you know, for a small town, I mean, Aschaffenburg is not the biggest town in the world, right, you know. I think we had a decent following, you know, so it's not like that things actually worked out, but it was successful enough that you believed, hey, maybe this can grow into something, right? Okay. And then, you know, there is this point in time where you have to ask yourself, okay, school's over, what are you going to do? Are you going to put your life's bet on this? Are you going to do something else, right? And for me, it wasn't clear. Honestly, it wasn't, right? You know, and that's why back then I decided to study math. Because, I mean, first of all, I was always good with numbers, right? You know, numbers okay. came to me easy and, you know, I never had a problem with math during school. Actually, I was pretty good. And um, back then, you know, I thought, well, if you study math, you don't have to decide now what you want to be, right? You kind of True. Yeah. delay decision right because math when you study math you're learning a way of thinking right that's correct probably the the main thing you learn right you know everything else is just you know skills right but it's, it's a it's a way of how to look at the world and how to process certain things right but you don't learn a skill like an architect or a, you know, sure. you name it, right? A, a, a medical doctor, right? I think that the closest I, I can compare this to is maybe if you study law, because, I mean, at the end of the day, all you learn is, you know, how to deal with laws, right? It's methods, yeah. You know, you haven't decided yet, you know, will you become a, I don't know, divorce lawyer or, you know, what the hell, right? You know, so. So so tell me then, I mean, just to understand, like, 
the influences and what led up to that. What is your mom and what did your mom and your dad do? Oh, that's an interesting question. So my mom and my dad are blue collar workers. I think that's the right uh, expression. So my father is a tailor, and that's why he came from Italy to Germany. You know, and that's why he ended up in the area where I was born because that area was very famous back then for, you know. Um, making suits and and these kinds of things, right? You know, those were the 60s when Germany still had a very booming industry. I mean, over the years, all that business moved on to Asia because, you know, it was way cheaper to produce over there, which also meant a career change for my father. But, um, you know, so my father, Taylor, my mother um, is from a very small village in Germany, and um, in order to make some money and help the family, she worked in the same factory, and that's how they met, right? You know. Oh, and, I see. Okay, okay, got it. And um, cool. Yeah, and interesting. So they are not people of high education, not at all. Okay, right? You know, and but they always supported me. Um, to say, you know, because my father had such a bad experience with his profession, you know, that he said, you know, you need to grow, you know, you need to have a higher education so you don't have the same experience I have, you know, where you can easily be replaced Yes. Um, by somebody you don't even know, right? You know, in a foreign land, right? You know, I think for them it was important that, I get to a level of knowledge and specialization where you know I will have a decent outcome back then. Yeah, and and do you, do you think that that um, I guess context was was an influence in your final decision? Kind of you know the moment that you went, okay, let me stop. Am I choosing music or am I choosing something else? And choose something like maths that kind of gives you that gives you extends your decision. Right, in that I can do maths, which is a way of thinking, and I can do multi. I can decide later what I what exactly I'm going to do, um, as opposed to going down the music route. Of course, you know, as you can imagine, Hadley, as you can imagine, my parents weren't too fond about the music thing. Of course, yes. Right, you know, that is kind of like, oh man, you, you can't do this. You know, that won't pay the the bills later on. You know, and you know, so in a way, it was also to to you know, basically show them, look, yeah. I'm not putting all my eggs into that nest, right? You know, there, there is a more decent education um, I'm going through and, you know, it will just take time until I get my degree and they were fine with this, right? So in a way, um, to come back to your question, you know, I think that was my response to them showing, yeah, I'm willing to invest and make the effort and, and get a proper education so at the same time, I can try to become a rock star, right? A rock star, right? Then, if that doesn't work out, at least I can fall back to something, right? Okay, and okay, now that 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 makes complete sense. And and what about your sister? Is she still in Germany now? She's still in Germany. She still lives close uh, to my parents, which is also an interesting topic to discuss because when we decided 
to move to the States, you know, she was not particularly happy about that, you know, oh. because of, you know, who's going to look after the parents, right? And now you're disappearing, course. you know, you will be so far away, you know, and now all the burden is on my shoulders. Yeah. So that was an, a point of tension, I guess, between me and my sister. But no, I think understood. We managed to address that. Okay, cool. And and your wife, you said that you both came over together? We came over together. But she, and that goes back to the story I told earlier, she is going back and forth, right? So we live um, a long-distance relationship currently, okay. where she is frequently in Germany looking after our parents who are in their 80s now. And um, Understood. Um, so she's back and forth. But we just, we jointly came to the states, but then we realized that you know this will not work out, right? So back then, you know, that was probably eight years ago. We kind of said, all right, you know, either we go back, or you know, you will be you, my wife Simona, will be in this business of going back and forth. And you know, initially that was kind of painful, I have to say, of course, right? You know, but I think in the meantime we have come to a good model, right? So we, we both, you know, feel happy about the decision which we made back then. Ah, that's fantastic. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, Udo, just before before this call is is that, you know, humans are resilient. And and moments when you get an injury and you can't play football anymore, or moments when, you know, you have to decide whether you move back to Germany or whether you make this thing work, these aren't necessarily nice moments, but they are moments that help us kind of shape and who we are and and the you know we get through it and we are stronger and better for it. It's not it doesn't mean that you would have chosen that to begin with, but if it has to happen, you gotta you gotta find a way to make it work, right? And make it happen, right? Exactly, exactly. right. And, and and I don't want to you know, dramatize stuff too much, but it's really like this punches, right? You know, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I never suffered hunger or anything like this. You know, we were not the wealthiest family, but, you know, we, we did well, right? And, you know, based on our uh, on my father's income, you know, as a tailor, I think we did well as a family. But still, you know, it, it's these breaking points, right? You you work so hard for something, and then you realize some circumstances just don't work out, and they are taken away from you Correct. without your wrongdoing or without you know you having any influence on it. Yes, right? correct. And there's and nothing that you can do about it. It's a punch, right? You know, it's a it's a gut punch, as they like to say here in North Carolina, and. Uh, you just have to get over it, right? You you just have to say, all right, let's find something new, right? Or let's see what we can do with this situation and, and you know, come back stronger in a way. Exactly. Take what you can learn from it and, and learn it, apply it and come back stronger. You're right. Okay. No, that, that's that's very true. So, Okay, so now now we 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 we're heading towards university now, and you you're making this decision. Um, what was it? What we discussed earlier, the influence um, and and almost that that promise to in 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 some way to your parents um, that has finally swung it the maths route. I think so. I think so. It was talent, 
like I said, I, I think I was fairly good with numbers. And also, I don't know how you, how much you know about the German university system. So it's basically, you know, certain uh, departments are constrained by your grades, right? You know, and one of the departments which is easy to get into is math because nobody wants to study math, right? You know? <laughs> sure, the classes are not full enough. <laughs> so for me, you know, the, the rising pop star, right? You know, it's like, all right, which one, right? You know, oh, this is easy to get into and I won't need it anyway because I will be on big stages later in my life, right? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I'll just be counting the money. <laughs> Who cares, okay, right? Yeah. So, you know, so... I picked math also for that reason. And interestingly enough, it was kind of a, a strange mix of people who didn't get into the departments they actually wanted to get into. Like uh, we had a, a, de a department called computer science, right? And that was the most popular department back then. So it was really difficult to get into computer science. But if you parked yourself in mathematics for a little while, you know, they may allow you to switch later on. So you had all these people. As people drop yeah, out. Exactly, as people drop out, right? So when I started um, studying math, I think there were 90 people in the first session. And when I did my, uh, when I got my degree, we were 10 people, right? So the dropout wow. was extremely high, right? You know, so it's not just skills, right? So like I said, it was kind of people were using it as a as a bench, you know, like sure. do something until you get into the departments you actually want to go into. Right? And um, so I quickly come to realize that I enjoyed applied math way more than theoretical math, right? Do you want to tell us the difference? Yeah, so theoretical math is more about you know, um, developing proofs and, you know, working on an area of mathematics which cannot be yet applied to, let's say, an engineering topic. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, they in, in theoretical math, you are ahead of where the other sciences are. You are paving the way for other sciences. So it's more research. It's more research. You know, I think this is now very common in other areas like theoretical physics, right? Where you basically, you know, come up with equations where you, Einstein is, is a great example, right? Where, where he was so ahead with his thinking that the proof that it's actually true came years later, right? Understood. And the, the mathematicians are used to that kind of thinking, right? You know, you basically look at the current number systems or, you know, the things which we can't prove yet in equations. And you try to think of, well, how do we have to develop that space so that when later on the engineers and all the other uh, departments are coming into these areas, we have basically paved the way for them already. Understood. And I found that boring, to be honest, right? Uh, you okay. know, I'm way too much of an applied person, right, you know? So I, I didn't like that part of mathematics that much. So for me, it quickly turned into taking, and that's the applied math, you know, the, the existing equation, the existing number systems, and apply them 
to existing problems. Optimization, statistics, um, numerical um, estimations of numbers, you know, that's what I fancied a lot during my studies, right? And it's way more related to what may be happening in other countries in engineering departments, you know, where you basically focus on, let's say, bridge building, right? You know, um, mm -hmm. and you need a lot of number crunching to get it right. You know, I think in Germany, it's way more divided, right? So you have the guys who are more focused on the math and the equations, and then you have the engineers who are more applied and they build the bridges, right? They are typically not as good in, you know, calculations and stuff, right? You know, does that make sense, Hadley? It, it completely does, yeah. Let me quickly just, just ask you this, right? So you, you mentioned something earlier around, you know, choosing maths so that you can delay your decision on what exactly you would want to do. You know, there's a lot of kids that's finding them in that space today. Um, and I guess within, especially within this, within the context of curiosity, um, and like we said earlier, all of this quality information that is available for free online today, uh, almost too much information, you know, what, what would be your advice to, to kids going through that decisioning process now where some of them feel that, you know, this is make or break, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. When in, when in reality, we know that isn't the truth. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I will say, Hadley, is that people need to be patient again. You know, it, it sometimes feels like the generation which is growing up now or is going into the workforce are very impatient. You know, they want to make progress very quickly, you know, see big salaries, big titles very early on. And I get it, right? I mean, I was probably the same when I entered the workforce. But the one thing which you learn over time is, you know, you have a long work life, right? You know, we are probably a generation which will get fairly old compared to what happened many centuries ago, right? So you have time, right? You know, and that's something which doesn't occur to you when you are young, right? So the one thing I would suggest to, you know, people who are thinking about their careers just be patient, you know, give yourself some space, right? You know, also give yourself space to make mistakes, right? Because some of your decisions at the age of, I don't know, 18, 19, will be really, really bad, right? Like my pop star, you know, kind of. Having, having said that, Udo, listen, you on a stage, right? And even now, public speaking, etc., right? But but what you what I've found in, in speaking to a few people is is that actually, you know, nothing is ever lost. You know, everything you do adds to who you are, right? And has some form of influence on who you've become. And it might be that 10, 15 years later, you find that something you learned then is actually coming in quite handy today. That's, that's a deep insight, because I truly believe there's nothing in your career like a mistake, right? You, you just... You know, you try something and then you realize this is not for me, right? But still you learn something on the way, you know, like being on a stage to me is no problem at all. While I, I realize that, you know, for most of 
the people, especially in, in, in our domain, if I ask them to go on stage and give a speech or to address an audience, I mean, it's almost like I'm asking them to kill themselves, right? You know, exactly. they, they are scared to death, right, to do this. Completely. I left this many years ago, right? You know, exactly. I don't care, to be honest, right? I actually enjoy going on a stage and to talk to people, right? You know, I always get my kick out of that as well, right? Do you think the shy boy would have felt like those other guys? And, and that's kind of to drive home a point, you know? If you didn't go down this music route and get on stage and play in front of people, Absolutely. it would have been a different story. 100% agreed, right? You know, you probably would have ended up I was very shy, to be honest, right? And also, you know, coming back to the beginning of our discussion, I was always faced with this strange situation like, do I belong, right? You know, am, am I welcome in this space, right? Which, as you can imagine, being shy plus that makes you super shy, right? Because you always have to sit back and, 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 and you know, observe the environment and, and kind of determine, you know, is it a friendly environment, right? Or, you know, will I receive pushback, right? And you see that that decision to try myself out as a stage performer, you know, where you also start to realize, and, and that's probably an interesting discussion point as well, you develop this stage personality, right? Where you realize the person you put on stage is not you, right? It's somebody else, right? Of course. It's a persona. It's a persona. It's your stage persona, right? You know, it's somebody who goes on stage who does things or who, you know, who is behaving in a way which is not a lot to do with you as, you know, a family person, right? So you realize that that's completely okay, right? You know, it's not that this is, you know, a, a sick behavior or anything like this. Mm -hmm. so you realize that in certain situations, you have to develop a persona which fits into that situation. And I was just going to say, and it doesn't it doesn't mean that you can't be you. You know, it's it's like for instance, you I, I try to be one hundred percent me all the time. However, you know. For instance, I may be relating it to how we are today. In your professional life, you can't walk into a boardroom, right? And perhaps behave in the way that you would with your friends at the pub. Not to say that, you know, you're going to be necessarily a completely different person, but you've got to be sensible and pragmatic about your surroundings in order to effectively communicate what you are there to do. I fully agree with this statement. And I would even say that you have to be cautious of it. You know, you have to realize that there is this persona, you know, which is the business person in you, right? There is, you know, I don't know, the musician in you, right? I mean, I don't use that persona that much anymore, but I know exactly, you know, what that persona is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when I go on stage, I, I try to remind myself, you know, I'm getting nervous, just like anyone, right? You know, it's, you know, if you are about to walk out on a stage and there are, I don't know, 500,000 person looking at you, you get nervous, right? But then I have to remind myself, man, you've been singing in front of, you know, this kind of crowds, right? You know? Before, exactly. But do you find also that those personas merge? You know, so, so, and, and kind of to my point earlier, it's not that you are 100%, you know, this person 
on in a boardroom and that person on a stage, it's actually that over time, especially, and as you grow older and a little less self-conscious, all of what you've learned, failures, successes, you know, good things, bad things, they all merge into a single persona. However, it's just that you need to carry yourself in different ways in different situations. Uh, yes. And I think, you know, it's probably the older you get, you you realize that at the end of the day, it's always you, right? It's just a different facet of your personality, right? And, you know, when you are young, you, you seem to believe that, you know, you have one personality and, you know, that's what you try to develop and everyone has to believe that you are the cool dude and you're always like this. While in reality, you know, you have many facets, right? And you, you probably behave differently at home when your mom is around than when you're in the pub in the evening with, with your cool dudes, right? Perfect when, example. You know, when, when but rightfully first- so. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. It's rightfully so. You, you, it, they, it's different situations, right? Absolutely, right? And, and, you know, I think the older you get, you, you start to use these personas more professionally. But to your point, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I would feel like a cheater if I didn't trust every person, right? You know, every persona I, I have is still me, right? It's just a different different, you know, characteristics of, of myself, right? But at the end of the day, I, I want to trust that persona. It has to be me, right? I, I don't want to pretend to be somebody I'm not. It's, it, it's just so hard. The thing is, I kind of take doing that similar to lying, right? And the more you lie, the more you need to remember your lies. And it's hard to keep up false appearances. So if you're not, if you don't if you're not being you while being conscious of your surroundings, it you will get found out, but then it's it will be like you fake and and that will impact you, not just the people and how they see you, but it will impact you. So so that's why I, I kind of try and just be me and yes. as much as I can while being conscious of my surroundings and who I'm dealing with. And I'm I'm like you in that regard. And also, you know, what I learned when I switched to the role of management, you know, th- that you have to develop that persona, whether you like it or not, right? Because in a management role, you have to deal with certain decisions, you know, which are really hard, right? You know, which are rough, you know, and sometimes... They keep you awake at night because you are dealing with, you know, the lives of other people. You just took on the responsibility to be, you know, their leader. Correct. For the lack of a different word. But in order to do this, you have to develop this persona, right? Which is the business person, right? Who needs to say, I don't know, numbers are going down, you know, we will not be able to keep all of you. So, you know, one person needs to go. So who do you pick, right? And yeah. you want to do this in the most objective way. You know, you don't want to say, all right, let me first identify my friends, right? And they are all safe and they can stay. Because then you're just delaying the problem, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, Completely agreed. You know, yeah. and this is where... You know, this realization that you have to develop these different facets of yourself helped me to become a manager, 
as well. You know, that was a growth path as well. A quick shout out to our sponsor, Heights. In their words, Heights makes smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help us take care of our brains so it can take care of us. I came across Heights when I set off on a trip, and surprisingly, it's still going, where I wanted to take better care of mind, body, and soul. So along with doing more exercise, drinking less alcohol, drinking more water, I wanted to be intentional about doing things that would help my mind be sharper. Long story short, I came across Heights and found the short, snappy podcast episodes with qualified experts quite enlightening. But as my wife would no doubt agree, I've always been a huge skeptic when it comes to supplements and never felt compelled to take it regularly. Even my daughter got involved in trying to make sure I take the ones we have at home, (laughs) but not even that helped. Yet, here I was, receptive to new things, so I took the plunge with an initial three-month subscription, and I'm still a customer today, and feeling great for it. Now I have no doubt that how I feel is as a result of all the changes I made, but I am convinced that the supplement is playing its part. So if you want to give it a go too, wander over to yourheights.com and use a Curious Life 10 at the checkout for a 10% discount. So speaking about management, then let's let's try and get to this role that you're in right now. Um, and following uni, what was your first job after uni? Yeah, that's also a funny story to tell because I'm a sus man, right? You know, and and probably you know you will point this out in some introduction. You know, I have been with sus for a really long time, right? In fact, um, I think I'm now in my twenty fourth year or 25th year at SAS, right? But I do have two SAS careers. And and so let me lay this out for you. So once I got my diploma in mathematics, I did um, write a thesis. And back then I had to code in SAS, right? So I got my first experience using SAS software at uni. Right. So I had to write some program, you know, I did the data step. I learned a language back then, which was called um, SCL. I think it stood for screen control language back then, and it has died ever since, yeah. you know. So, um, but, you know, I, I really liked um, the fact that it's business software, you know, where um, you are not learning something abstract, which is not used anywhere, right? It was more this idea of, Right, if you learn this language, you know, you may be able to get a job in pharma or in banking because the software is commonly used in these industries. So now we thought, you know, that's a, a good investment, right? You know. So once I had my thesis, which I did on nonlinear optimization, just to break a little bit. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. <laughs> right. Um I, you know, back then we still had newspapers, hard copies with advertisements, you know, job advertisements. So I, yeah. one Saturday I opened the newspaper, there's this one-page advertisement from SAS in Heidelberg, Germany, and they were looking for an SEL programmer. And, and that right. was almost so like, that's AF, right? That's AF, right, exactly. So, so AF applications, okay, cool, cool, cool. AF applications, right? So AF was the front end, the widgets and stuff, and SCL was the language you used to basically 
you know, drive the widgets. It, you can think of it like Java. Yeah, I've I've written some SEL applications myself. So <laughs> yeah. So when when I started, you know, it was not even object oriented, right? You know, it was a poor man's version of object orientation. And I think later at some point in time, they int we introduced a dot notation. You know, I still used call this and call that. You know, it's kind of weird language. Anyway. What's the name of the guy who created AF again? Uh, we met him when we were in Kerry with you guys. Um, Deva. Deva Kumar. Yeah. Yes, Deva. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's still around at SAS. Yes, so I know. It's also very interesting that you run in all these gods, you know, you know, people who say, wow, you did this? That's amazing, right? Anyway, so... Um, I opened up the newspaper. There was this advertisement. They were looking for an AF slash SEL coder, but it was in Heidelberg, right? And Germans are not necessarily eager to move, right? You know, you stay put, right? You know, in the environment you grew up with, right? So the idea was always, you know, since my hometown is so close to Frankfurt, that I will find a job in Frankfurt, which is a huge banking city, right? And, you know, live my life, right? But that was not my fate, apparently, right? So I, you know, I went to Heidelberg. I had my interview with the guys. You know, there was uh, the headquarter for the European market was in Heidelberg still. Um, so I went there, had my interview in English. I completely effed it up. <laughs> right? because, you know, sure, you learned English at school, but you never used it, you know, yeah. in any professional environment. It was so embarrassing, right? But somehow I convinced them that I may be a good fit. So they made me an offer. And um, after some back and forth, we decided to just go, right? And, and move closer to Heidelberg. And my wife was still studying in Frankfurt back then, so we found a place which was kind of in between. In between. And so I, I started working for SaaS in, in a development team. And interestingly enough, that team worked on an application which was called the Neural Network Application. Uh... And, you know, the reason why they hired me is that you needed some nonlinear optimization expertise. I see to work on that application. So it kind of, I was kind of a good fit for them, despite my horrible, horrible English skills, right? <laughs> because your thesis was exactly aligned to that. It's almost the perfect timing. It was good for, for SAS back then because they didn't have to invest a lot of education in me. I mean, I, I was productive fairly soon, right? You know, and then the, the neural network application was superseded by a product called Enterprise Miner, right? Oh. So you see, that's oh, how wow. this grew into, you know, um, the, the one of the biggest successes of SaaS, I believe. Right? That's and fantastic, Udo. So I was very early on involved in data mining and, you know, this, what we wow. call machine learning now, and I really loved it, right? But you see, this is exactly about these breaking points I, I talked about earlier. When Enterprise Miner started to become the success it is, or it was back then, it was decided to move all the development teams to the States. And that was 97, I believe, right? And back then, you know, I was not ready to go. I, I just wasn't ready. Right. And so, so, so why why not? Let's I mean 
because I've heard this before, kind of in Germany, generally you stay put. So, so, so not only are you not going to study in Frankfurt, right? Now there's this thing where you might actually have to move out of Germany. Yeah. What's that about? I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, this is, you are so, uh, you know, intertwined with your environment. You know, everything is in German. All books are in German. Television is in German. All your friends are German speakers. So you don't see the need to learn a foreign language in the first place, right? You know, even in businesses, and I still see this sometimes in very traditional German companies, English is not a common language, right? They really have a hard time to communicate yeah. in English, right? You know, and and then, of course, there was this music thing, right? You know, it was kind of... Yeah, it was coming to an end, right? But I still had my bands, right? And, you know, it's kind of, oh, man, should I really do this? And then cut all the ties, you know, cut all the ties to your friends, to your band. Yeah, I was, I was newly married back then, right? And, you know, we were kind of building a life in Germany, right? And should I really do this, right? And back then, I think I chickened out, to be honest, right? It was, and that's one of the things you just need to be honest about right that yeah. yeah you had an opportunity you didn't do it you may regret this now in hindsight that you should have come way earlier to the states but you know things develop differently and coming back to your statement at the beginning you always learn something from this right there is no right or wrong i, I can't say that this was a bad decision back then right yeah it was yeah. just i wasn't ready right you know what i'm saying yeah, I completely, completely. And and actually, I guess even just the fact that you were part of that foundational team that created Enterprise Minor, th that was amazing. And I mean, even just having been part of that team. So, so what happened? What happened from from there then, Udo? So, so you said you had these two careers inside. Yeah. So, what happened was the development was moved to the states. I had to stay in Heidelberg, so I did tech support for a little while for Enterprise Minor, and. Um, Amazing experience, right? Tech support teaches you to be agile, right? You know, because you are dealing with customer problems, different customer problems every day. So you have to adjust your mindset all the time, right? While development is more thinking in longer processes, right? So you basically work on a problems for weeks, maybe months, right? In tech support, it's more like boom, boom. daily, right? You know, you have to act fast, right? Boom, boom, boom. So I enjoyed that, but then I realized that was not my cup of tea. I really enjoyed, you know, working in development, right? Creating. You know? And after three years at SAS, a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, I'm doing a startup. I'm creating a startup. We are doing SAS consulting. You have all this know-how in, in data mining, and do you want to join us, right? And so I left, right? I left SAS to join a startup. We were three people back then, you know, based out of Switzerland, which was also interesting. And um, so, yeah, we we started this SaaS consulting company cool. and uh, grew it to I don't know twenty people with offices in Heidelberg, uh, in in Karlsruhe, Germany, and in 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 Switzerland. And we were doing fairly well. You know, that's not bad. How long did it take you to get to 20? Um, that was 
three years, I believe, two years, three years, something like this. Nice one. And then had the, something weird happened. And the weird thing which happened was the the Y2K problem, right? You know, okay. when all of a sudden all the IT budgets were frozen, you know, and you are old enough that you, you know about this, that I all do. of a sudden the entire attention of the software industry or of IT departments in larger companies was all around, oh right, man, okay. we got to fix that problem, right? And um, this is where our consulting business just fell apart, right? You know, we were, oh. all the projects all of a sudden were frozen. People were saying, you know, yeah. And I think we will discuss this later, right? You know, analytics back then was considered as the cream on the cake, right? You know, you do your stuff. Extra. And then when you have some additional resources, you invest into analytics. But if you don't do it, that's fine too, right? Yes. It was all about reporting and, you know, data management. So the the true value of analytics hasn't really shined through. Sunk in, absolutely. And maybe even the, you know, they. uh, I'm not sure whether without, things like the cloud or processing power that's available today it will you know the true scale of analytics was even possible exactly right and it was still you know a very specialized area where you know the people you met were really really good in 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 you know statistics or machine learning or whatever right anyway man so our company was running out of money right back then um, a former manager of mine at SAS called me up and said, look, we are investing in a new product, which is around statistical forecasting, and we are looking for a product manager. Are you interested? (laughs) Sure, I'll take this, right? Because, you know, you have to pay the bills, right? There's no money there. So let's go back to SAS. I always enjoyed working for SAS for a little while, because I really got the taste of Start doing your own thing, yes. Doing your own thing, right? And you know, so I return. Yeah. Actually, just just to stop there quickly. Sorry to interrupt, Udo, but but I was just just came to mind now is again, you know, similar to like when your dad things were taking off to China. Really, he was doing everything he could, and it was perfect. You know, this Y2K thing comes from the sidelines and goes well. Actually. Yeah, let's put that on hold. All money is going to 12 o'clock on midnight 2000. Exactly. And it's like, where did this come from? What can I, almost similar to to the pandemic last year, right? And that's why I believe, Hadley, you know, this is where my experience during my childhood and my teenage years is helping me now. Because in a way, I'm expecting things to happen, right? You know, I'm expecting... Yeah. You know, the unexpected. You, you, you're on this path, right? And and then this black swan will show up, which nobody thought about, and things will be disrupted. All right, there will be some phase of disruption, and then we move on, right? You know, so, exactly. Actually, one step further, dude. You're creating the maths that builds that into actual products for companies to do the same, dude. Here you go. Here you go. Yeah, that's nice, nice way. Thank you for bringing this out, right? But but okay, so so come on, let, let, let's get to today. So we would you were just talking when I so rudely interrupted, um, that you went back to SaaS, so you're product manager on this. What was the product? The product was called Forecast Server. Really? So it was all about 
large-scale statistical forecasting, right? And when I joined SAS, Forecast Server was really one procedure, which was called PROC HPF. That's it, right? And, and so I was basically tasked to develop the forecasting market, market in Europe. You know, so I had no clue about statistical forecasting, right? I mean, I was good at math, you know, I was good at uh, data mining. Forecasting was a mystery to me, right? But then, you know, it's all math, right? So you pick up the books, you look at the documentation, you get into this way of thinking. And, you know, so I became a forecasting expert, right? You know, and that's what I'm always trying to tell my developers. You may think that you are a dedicated expert in one area, it's a big world, right? You need to be ready to adjust, right? And it leaves some space for curiosity, right? Because you don't know. Exactly, right? You know, work on your next muscle, right? You know, which may have nothing to do with what you're doing today, right? Find another topic which you find interesting and just study it, right? And, and see, you know, maybe you will get so excited that that's your future then going forward. It's good advice that, mate. And sometimes it's not even that, that, you know, that it will necessarily be a completely different path. It may be that you learn something down this other path that would help you think differently in what you're doing now. That's exactly right. You, and, you know, maybe as a, a, as a comment on this, you know, what we are seeing now in, in, the, in the forecasting world is the merge between machine learning and more statistical forecasting traditional techniques, right? Sure. So it seems like that, you know, the, the, the community has now come to the conclusion that by combining those two areas, that will bring us forward, right? So I have a background in two. So for me, it's like, sure, you know, what, whatever, right? You know, to me, it's more like, does it solve the problem? Yes or no? I don't care whether it's whether you call it machine learning or statistical forecasting. Whatever. Right? Or whatever. Artificial right? intelligence, whatever. It's, it's, I kind of summarize it just as the world of data. And by data, I mean everything around it, how you interrogate, how you, because essentially for me, it's, it's about the value. It's about the value that you get at the end of it, how you derive that value. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and which methods, which, you know, which algorithms you use isn't really the thing, but how do I make better or how do I enable better, faster decisions? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and then just to to bring this to an end, and I don't want to bore you with all the details, but then, you know, I was back at, the, at SAS, right? I enjoyed working at SAS a lot, of course, right? And, you know, fast forward to 10 years ago, you know, uh, certain things happened in the meantime. So, for example, the the headquarters in Europe was merged with the global headquarters in, in Cary. So at some point in time, my management was out of Cary, which was kind of interesting because I worked from home. So you were in Heidelberg. I was in Germany working from home. My okay. manager is in in Cary, so there's the six-hour delay, which was kind of an interesting experience. So back then I learned about working from home, you know, all the, you know, the dependencies on technology. And, and mind you, it was nothing like this, right? Doing video calls was impossible, right? The bandwidth was just not there. Not there, yeah. We're doing crappy audio calls, right? You know, and then of course the time delay, the different cultures, you know, working you know, in the States is different than working in Europe, you know. Anyway, so 10 years ago, I was awarded the 
um, COE Award for Excellence at SAS. Well done. You know, that's something we do every year where, you know, employees are suggesting other employees that they did an outstanding job and then they received a CEO award. So, yeah, fist bump. So <laughs> I received it and I was invited to the States. And uh, back then I was asked by Radhika Kulkani uh, whether I would be interested in joining uh, her division. right? And I thought, all right, I always wanted to work abroad at some point in time. You are now in your 40s. It's now or never. If you don't pick it, you know, you will never do this again. All right, so we, and we talked about this earlier, um, we said, okay, we are going to do this. We, my wife and I, we are going to do this for three years. And so it looks good on your CV. You have some experience. And then, you know, we would go back to Germany. And that's why, you know, we didn't really cut the ties with Germany. And, you know, that's why, as I explained earlier, my wife is still going back and forth. But things worked out really well for me, right? I have to say, right? You know, and then... It has indeed, man. And then I was also fortunate from a personal perspective that when I arrived at the HQ in Cary, North Carolina, there was always this notion of generation change, right? The previous management was getting to an age where they were ready to retire, right? All the people who built the great SAS-9, SAS-6, you know, all this um, very successful software were now at the stage of their career where they were ready to retire, right? And back then, you know, um, a lot of new things were introduced, like laser was a big topic, as you will remember. Yeah. Oliver was, you know, pushing, you know, the, the cast development quite a bit. So I was just lucky, you know, to be there at the right time. So at some point in time, you know, all of a sudden I was running the forecasting team. Right. Nice. Man. And then I was asked to run the machine learning team, right? Because the, the manager decided to move on and work for a startup. So you see, all my past experience all of a sudden helped me, right? And again, it it, it looks like if as if this was planned, right? You know, yeah. because all of a sudden all these pieces which were kind of disjoint previously were coming together and it helped me a lot to position myself as an expert in all these areas, right? Fantastic. And then finally, and that's probably, you know, the end of our career discussion. And I hope I wasn't boring you with that, you know, so. No, not not at all, dude. I mean. Radhika was ready to retire. So they, we posted the vice president for analytics, Andy. And I decided to apply because I, I really felt passionate about this division because I really thought. I remember when, when that when that was playing out. And so, yeah, so. I was uh, given the opportunity to take on that role, um, I think, 18 months ago. And best decision of my life, right? Well done, man. Well done, Udo. You know, I, I really enjoy. I really enjoyed that, that role. And, you know, I was also given the opportunity to restructure the division, you know, and, you know, don't have to deal with something which was 
you know, established many years ago and you just continue to run it. But we were given the opportunity to rethink how we want to organize ourselves. So what did, what did you do? What did you, what did you change? Oh, you know, that was also coming at the stage where SaaS as a company decided to change the delivery process of how we want to create software. So, you know, buzzwords are CICD, agile development, right? You know, so we kind of decided to organize our division in a way that we are better set up for these kind of challenges, like monthly release cycles, right? And also there is currently this move towards cloud and you are a top expert in that area as well. So you will probably understand that the skill set of the developers has to change as well because exactly. developing software for the cloud is different than... Yeah, and on uh, containers and top and of the cloud. Yeah, so it's, and, you know, yeah. all these environments are new. So one thing we did also was that we kind of merged on the development side, the development teams for statistics, econometrics, optimization, who were traditionally separated and were running by themselves because back then SAS was actively selling SAS stat, SAS IML, SAS ETS, where we don't do this anymore. Though there was no reason to have dedicated teams for that. You know, they are still experts in this area. Understood. But they are now merged under one umbrella, which we call scientific computing. If that makes sense. That actually that makes a to our point earlier. You know, if if you asking someone uh, to study to study an area outside of their usual expertise, they might learn something that could be applied. I mean, now you're kind of putting this on steroids and you're saying, well, here's an entire team of experts in various disciplines coming together to create a better analytics product. You know, and quick question then, Udo. With all of these buzzwords, machine learning and AI and everybody now all of a sudden being experts, when, you know, SAS have been doing this for a very long time, how are you approaching that as a challenge from a, a, a an R&D perspective rather than necessarily a sales and marketing perspective? How are you approaching this challenge? So what I like to share with our leadership team in analytics and our division is that traditionally SAS has been successful and famous for developing expert software which was created by experts. So, you know, software from experts for experts, which basically means that you can make certain assumption about the knowledge of your end users, right? Because you know, you know, they are at the same level of know-how as you are, right? Which basically gives you some degrees of freedom sure. when you start developing procedures. Because you can assume if I have statements which may look strange to the layman, the expert will get it, right? You know, and SaaS has been doing really, really well in that business, right? And we still do this, right? I, I believe, you know, there's no intention to take this away or to not continue on that path. But the reality is that in the meantime, there's also the open source community, you know, and there's a lot of exciting development going on in that community where we can't claim that, you know, we are the company who is driving this 
whole, you know, sure. um, you know, areas forward, yes. right? We are now amongst many really smart people, yeah. right? But, but I, I don't think anybody really has, like in the open source world, you know, the benefit is, of course, that many eyes you know, are, are focused on this and improving it. I think from a SaaS perspective, you know, there's this concept of, I guess, your your products being matured within the enterprise space. It might not be individual contributors, but it is customers who are demanding things to change or improve or different features, etc. Absolutely. And that's why I'm saying, you know, we still will continue to I do agree. this, right? You know, we will not take the foot off the gas at all. But at the same time, Actually, there's this new community of people, you know, who may not be experts as end users, right? And I'm busy telling my folks, you know, this market is growing way faster than the expert market, right? We need to write our software in a way and create interfaces, graphically user interfaces, or solutions, if you want to call it like this, for an audience who was never trained on machine learning, who was never trained on statistical forecasting, but they have business problems they have to deal with. And we want to be the vendor they turn to, yeah. you know, when they are facing this problem, right? That, that, makes, that makes complete sense. And I mean, I see it's a conversation I've had with a few other guests, but it's, it's around this concept of data literacy and enabling SMEs or business users with enough of a, uh, a kind of uh, insight and information and understanding of data. And when I say data, again, I mean the use of data in whatever way, you know, but you kind of have to make it easier for them as the business experts to answer the questions they're looking to answer. And, and I, I, I've seen in, in a, not just SaaS's software, but in some of the other vendors as well, is that you are building, uh, for instance, the interpretation of a model. In, in some ways, you know, you were building in uh, that interpretation that would normally be done by an expert. You've kind of codified that to a point and are now allowing business experts to interpret, uh, create and interpret these models within your software, yes. which is fantastic if we want to see the scaling of analytics within enterprise, or in fact, just in general. Exactly. and But you see, to me, this is only an intermediate step, right? Because, you know, throughout my career, I also worked in enablement. You know, I was trying to teach people concepts which they weren't trained in. And I come to the realization that they are not interested, right? True. Most of the time, they couldn't give a hoot, right? You know, that they don't want to understand the details. And being from Germany, I always compare this to driving a car. How much do you understand about your engine? I don't understand nothing about my car's engine. I want my car to take me from A to B. It's very true. The reason why I'm saying this happily is that I think we are still at the beginning of a, of a major evolution when it comes to analytical software because we are now getting from the step of, you know, kind of the Stone Age, you know, expert systems, you know, people have to be experts to drive it, you know, wearing the white coats in a in a computer center, right? You know, now we are talking about a level where, you know, data literacy will become a, a huge topic. So we are still creating Correct. environments which assume that you are interested in this kind of data analysis. But I truly believe 
the level where we want to be eventually, and we are not there yet, is that where all the complexity of the analytical capabilities is completely hidden from you. You know, and I, I always think of the iPhone as a perfect first generation of these kind of environments. Because when you use your apps on the iPhone, like, uh, you know, your uh, GPS system on an iPhone, where you don't need to understand that there's a shortest path algorithm running in the back, right? And there's all this cloud computations going on. For you, it's Completely. just a map and you just say, I want to go from A to B, tell me, how do I get from A to B the fastest? Or, you know, how can I avoid tolls or anything? Exactly. And this is where I want to take analytics products, you know, where the end user experience is completely, you know, different to the engine which is running in the back. Am I making sense? 100%. And I think you, you, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. It, we, we are... At that next juncture, uh, you know, in in scaling analytics or the use of analytics to to derive value, right? Because because as you said, at first it was the data scientists or the analysts building models and interpreting their models, and and that ends up in a report somewhere. Now there's a lot more automation and codification of of that kind of role. But the next kind of level or the the future generations of the future, I guess, implementation of how this will surface is a business user has a problem. They maybe use some software in order to help them answer those questions, but they don't know which algorithm was chosen. They don't need, they don't even need to interpret the models to understand why, you know, it was chosen, or they don't need to be involved in the process of ensuring that the model is still fit for purpose or retrained or any of that. They just know that I go to that app over there in order to get the best outcome for me to run my business. Exactly. Exactly right. And and you may call this a solution. You may call this an app. Exactly. I, I give yeah. a hoot, to be honest, right? But, you know, it. it I heard in, in one of your previous podcasts, you were discussing the fact that, you know, it's it's like looking at books, right? And, you know, there were only a few people who could read initially, right? And Correct, those yeah. were the, the, the gurus, right? The scribes. And let's include writing, right? You know, and then, you know, the, the next revolution was, well, almost everyone can read, right? But you see, for me, I'm talking about the TV now, right? You know, it's almost like it, books don't matter anymore. Right, you know, you are now at a level where you can get similar information through a completely new medium, which people who wrote the books back then didn't even think of. One hundred percent. That's why I'm saying we are at the beginning of a major evolution. And if people are saying, you know, oh, you know, we are afraid of AI and machine learning, blah blah blah, I'm thinking, man, you are almost like the people who were criticizing the steam engines back then. Exactly. You know, of course, we want to do the right thing, right? We want to do this in a in a human way. We don't want, you know, to be biased and, and all these great things. We all have to discuss it, granted. But we are talking about inventing cinema, right? We are inventing TV, right? While we are still writing books, right? You know, that that's what we do currently, right? You know. That actually kind of almost perfectly answers my my next question, which which is 
that I typically ask guests towards the end of the show is this acceptance of analytics or data and analytics being necessary for survival, never mind competitive advantage, you know. Um, But as you said, we are still at the beginning of all this, and there's still a lot to do for the true value of analytics to be scaled. Um, And and it sounds like you've almost just answered that question, because my question was going to be, what will you do to pick up the mantle in order to further that cause? Yeah. And, you know, everything I said is vision, right? You know, it's the North Star. So what we will do is we will basically now go that path in a very scientific fashion, right? And, you know, the next evolution stage will probably be more like data science environments where we are hiding some of the complexity, but, you know, you still need to know what you're doing kind of, right? And and then, you know, our goal is in the long run to strive for these end products where all of this is hidden, right? I have not seen this anywhere, to be honest, right? You know, I don't believe Correct. that any vendor does this, right? You know, all we do as a as a community, whether you're, you're at IBM or at Google or at Microsoft, Amazon, you know, the big guys are now looking into this. We are all at the same level, right? We are basically, we have lifted up the layer a little bit so you don't have to be the top expert, but you still need to better understand what you are doing, right? Because otherwise you can, you know, you do. do bad things unintentionally, right? Correct. But you see... I think what we are hoping to do in the next couple of years is to shift it up, to push the envelope further to say, well, maybe, you know, talking in products, you don't have to go to a service anymore, right? You know, a restful service, right? You know, it's all centered around the application. It's all centered around your driving experience and not so much, you know, does the car now run on, fuel or does it run on energy or does it run on something else i mean do you care no you you care about your driving experience and and that's what i'm hoping that we will do you know in the next couple of years i i think you are probably you know in a position that very few people is other people are today in that you are the the vp of analytics at SaaS, an analytics company, and you are at the helm of, I guess, creating that course, you know, so you will have a massive impact on the analytics and the future of of analytics um, in your position right now. And I, yeah, man, hats off, buddy. Um, hats off and well done. Congratulations. And so super duper proud of you, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so so final question from me then, Udo, is I um I love music, man, <laughs> and I didn't I didn't actually know that you were in bands and stuff. So uh, it's 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 so awesome to kind of see how deep your love for music goes as well. I'm not a creator though, um, but question is, if you can pick a song and an artist that for whatever reason, at any point in your life, whether it's now or whether it's before, kind of inspires that sense of curiosity or the thing that you go to when you want to focus and be creative. Um, what is that artist and and what is the song and why? 
Yeah, that, that's an awesome question. I wish we had another hour to discuss. <laughs> uh, I mean, we will be on audio, but you, you currently look into my office and you see all these CDs in the back, right? So I do. You know, so you and I are probably members of a generation who saw the rise and the decline of the CD, right? You know, it's correct. It's kind of interesting, right? So. When you, when you ask me that question, you know, my mind is wandering back to the stack and I'm thinking, well, which one should I pick, right? What, what is a fair choice? And it's really hard for me. So I think I will do something which people may find boring. But, you know, since I'm German and since I have been, you know, involved with music so much, I picked Kraftwerk. <laughs> The reason why I'm picking Kraftwerk is that they reinvented music without knowing it, you know, back then in the days, right? Because, you know, they are the godfathers of electronic music. I'm going to go look them up. You know, when everyone back then was kind of, you know, still playing the blues, you know, kind of rock was big, right? You know, they probably thought, you know, there must be more to it, right? And, you know, they basically elevated the entire music business, maybe without knowing it, right, to a new level. And today, electronic music is everywhere, whether it's in rap music, it's in popular music, you know, people hardly play instruments in, in a yeah, studio, right? You know, it's, it's all computers, right? And, and they were at the forefront. So true inventors, right? I mean, it's it's just amazing the amount of change they introduced right and, and the song i picked is uh, we are the robots right so if you want to put this on your spotify list it's 100 i can't wait to my, listen to it <laughs> one of my favorite songs right but it, it's kind of funny right that already back then they were talking about ai and machine learning and the robots taking over right you know that that's kind of a a nice twist on your uh, collection, I believe. So yeah, so it's awesome. Kraftwerk, We Are The Robots. That's the song you can pick from my end. Okay, we'll do exactly that. Now, Udo, I, I can't believe the time has flown by as it has. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, really insightful, enjoyable, and interesting conversation. Um, and I... Yeah, thank you for your time, um, and thank you for giving us that little window into into Udo, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Hadley. I hope um, you know this was truly interesting for you, and I, I really enjoyed it. Anytime, my friend. You know, we can talk again. Okay, nice one. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, then please like, share, and subscribe. Original music created by SolarKid, produced by Spotcaster at Boabalb, and branding by Victoria at Generic, a Moaxan company. <laughs>